Oh, it's that time. Yo, what's poppin'? Everybody, welcome to the Uncensored Christian Podcast. And dude, we got we got a dope one today. Like, can I be real? I know we've done a lot of scripture studies, but I have been so excited to share this particular one with y'all today. Oh my goodness, I'm so ready. It's over 1 Samuel chapter 3, if you didn't see the title of the episode. And some of y'all may already know about 1 Samuel chapter 3. But some of y'all don't. But I got some good news is that whether or not you already know about this story and what happens, there's going to be something new for you to learn. I promise you, I am so excited to get into this. But before we do, y'all share this with your friends, your family. The word of God is not meant to be kept to yourselves. Don't be selfish with it. Share it with your friends and your family because I promise you they're going to learn something today. So let's get straight into this. We're reading out of 1 Samuel chapter 3 verses 1 through 18. And I'm reading out of this particular one out of the New Living Translation, the NLT. And real quick, I just wanted to talk about translations because it's really interesting when you look through the different translations of the Bible, how they differ sometimes in the message that they give. Y'all ever noticed that? See, me personally, I normally read out of the New Living Translation. If you ever wonder, I normally read out of the New Living Translation. Reason why, look, all right, I ain't that smart. So reading from like King James and, and this weird old English language, it's just hard for me to truly like grasp and understand what's going on sometimes. So I like reading the New Living Translation. It just breaks it down in a simple way where I can understand the story. But what's important about translations is that there is really no one translation of the Bible that gets everything perfectly correct. I know that sounds weird, but normally when I do my Bible studies or when I'm reading, I use at least three different translations. I know this sounds weird, and this may be something completely new to you, but I, I encourage you, if you're doing your Bible study and you want to grow in your walk with God, use multiple translations. Here's why. Because the Hebrew and the Greek that the Bible is translated from. There's a lot of words, especially in Hebrew, that hold like specific um, meanings and understandings that do not translate perfectly to English. And if there's any of you out there that speak multiple languages, um, I know like, for instance, in Spanish, there are just some words in Spanish when I'm like, yo, what does that mean? And they'll be like, uh, I, don't, I don't really know how to explain it to you because it, it holds a certain meaning in the original language that just doesn't translate perfectly. And this is really crucial. It's really important because one translation, you'll be reading a certain verse and then you'll go to another one and it seems like it's saying something completely different. And that's just because these translators try and find the the best comprehensive way in their method to portray what the writers are trying to say into English. And so I use multiple translations because that's the best way for me to kind of get a ground zero for what certain phrases in Hebrew and Greek words are supposed to mean. And this is why I say it's important because depending on the translation that you read, it can actually change your understanding of the scripture. I know it sounds wild, but there are certain translations where you read them and you understand things that are happening in a certain way and they might not have been happening in that way. Here's for example, the very first verse in the Bible, <laughs> like Genesis 1.1. We're already seeing discrepancies in translation. We all know Genesis 1.1, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning. And this is where 
certain like Hebrew words don't translate perfectly to our understanding of the English counterparts for them. So for instance, the word beginning, when we think of beginning, what do we think? We think like a certain exact point in time, right? Like if I'm saying, you got to look back at the beginning of my life, you would go, okay, I'm going to look back to the minute he was born. In English, our understanding of beginning is a particular starting point in time that we can actually pinpoint and know the exact time of. And so this is how obviously we interpreted the, this verse in Genesis is that there is a particular pinpoint point in the beginning that we can try and find. And so as you can imagine, this has been such controversy. The first word of the Bible has has caused so much controversy between Christians and non-Christians and, and, and everyone in between. You have some people who try and say, that, oh, this is the exact beginning. So we need to trace back all the genealogies. And this is how you get young earth where people will say, yeah, the earth is only 10,000 years old. But then you got people on the flip side that are like, nah, the earth is, you know, 300 billion years old. And this is what God is trying to say when it means in the beginning. But here's what is interesting. And this is why I point out the translations. Because the Hebrew word for beginning that we translate it to is the word reshith. Reshith. And this is a word in Hebrew that... It means a point in time, but it is a point in time that is undetermined or it is a estimative point of time. That, that's literally the meaning of the word reshith. So in my like New Living Translation, for instance, it'll say in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's what it'll say. But then there's a little footnote that says, or it can be translated as when God began to create. Or another way, I guess you could understand this, the phrase that we have would be way back when, right? Like that is the more complete understanding of what the Hebrew author is trying to uh, portray in the very first words in the Bible. And so when we understand this, when we truly understand the original meaning of these verses in the Bible, then we can get to what the true message is. And so for instance, in Genesis, Genesis is not trying to give us an exact point in time where we can understand, we can pinpoint, hey, here in history is when God created what the author of, of Genesis is trying to just portray is the story of a God who created the world through just sheer power and amazement. And then he created us so we could share in that creation. And if we're not careful in seeing these translations, we can start focusing on things that the author never wanted us to focus on. Another good example, and I'm going to get to first Samuel, don't worry. Another good example is John 3, 16, one of the most popular verses in the Bible, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And here's another instance of translations that may not be 100% correct because the word begotten, when we think of begotten, I mean, what does it mean? It means that you're bringing something into existence. And so we would read this as God's only son that he brought into existence. And, you know, I never questioned this growing up and, and listening to this in church. I never questioned this. But if you think about it, if you think about the English word that we use, how can Jesus be begotten? How can Jesus be begat? How can he be brought into existence if he said that he is God and God is he and God was eternal and God created the heavens and the earth. So how could Jesus began when he was supposed to be God? And so this is where translation can kind of make things weird. And so here's what's interesting. The word that we translate to begotten actually comes from the Greek word uh, monogenous. And what does that mean? It literally is translated only of its kind or one and only. So in other translations that you may read in the Bible, in John 3.16, it'll say 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son or one of a kind son. And this completely changes how you understand Jesus in the scripture. It helps make things like the Trinity make sense, right? Now now we can comprehend how Jesus could be God and the Holy Spirit and they're three separate, but they're all one together because saying that Jesus is his one and only or one of a kind isn't implying that Jesus became at any point, but he always was. And so it's easy to reconcile verses like John said in John 1, where it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning and through him, all things were made without him. Nothing was made that has been made. So these translations it is truly, truly crucial. And, and I, I recommend that anyone do this. When you're reading the Bible, when you're doing your Bible study, use at least three different translations. The one that I personally use is New Living Translation, ESV, or NIV, and Amplified Bible. And between those, you can truly get a sense of what is going on. But we're going to hop into First Samuel 3. And the reason why I talked about translations and understanding the original words is because we're actually going to see some really important Hebrew words that are used in 1 Samuel that help convey the message that the author's trying to convey. So verse one, let's hop straight into it. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Now in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare and visions were quite uncommon. I want to point out straight off the rip. Notice how Samuel is serving the Lord, right? It I love this because it didn't say that Samuel served the Lord by uh, by making money. It didn't say that Samuel served the Lord by talking about how great he was. How did Samuel serve the Lord? Look at it. He served the Lord by serving Eli. He was helping Eli. And that's how he served the Lord. And I just thought this was so beautiful because it helps me see, especially in my life, that the way that I get to serve God is by serving others. That's the way that we're supposed to serve God is by serving others. And and me personally, I mean, I always thought that serving, I always thought of serving myself was the important thing. And, and I thought that if I served myself, then I was serving God. I was like, oh, Dante, take some time to take care of yourself, dog. Like, like, just focus on yourself. Read the Bible by yourself. Do devotions by yourself. But I never took the time to share that with anybody else. And so I was not serving others. And this is the entire a message of Jesus, right? Like Jesus came to our situation, serving God. How about how did he serve God? By serving us. Jesus served us. And because of that, he was serving God. And Jesus taught us time and time again, that for us to serve him, it requires us to serve others, serving the poor. Serving the widow, serving the orphan, serving those who are far from God. That is how we serve him. And so I think that's just so cool that that's what Samuel is doing to serve God as he is assisting and helping Eli. Now, another thing that was interesting is that he says that in these days, messages from the Lord were very rare and visions were quite uncommon. So so they really weren't hearing from God. Like there was no prophetic visions. There there was nothing going on crazy at this time. And it's really interesting to me that messages and visions from God were rare, that people weren't hearing from God like they once were, or like the people in the generations before them were. And, And this really caught my eye because something that I've struggled with so often is I look at, I look at our generation and maybe the generation before, and I think, isn't it weird that God 
spoke to all of these people in the Bible. Like those are all the stories you hear is God speaking to them and giving them these awesome visions and, and they see God on his throne room. But we never have anything like that in our time. Like, why don't we hear from God in the same way that Abraham did or that Noah did? Like, why don't we hear from God the same way? And it's just kind of comforting knowing that our moment in time isn't the only moment in time where messages and visions from the Lord were rare or uncommon. It doesn't mean that it doesn't happen, but I mean, it didn't happen at the rate that it happened before Samuel like with Abraham and and Moses and Noah and all these people. So it's actually not a shock that maybe in our generations, we don't always hear from God the same way that we think that we should. Just a thought, just a thought. Verse two, one night Eli, who was almost blind by now, has gone to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle, (laughs) tabernacle, in the tabernacle near the ark of God. Suddenly the Lord called out, Samuel, Yes, Samuel replied. What is it? He got up and ran to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. So he did. Then the Lord called out again, Samuel. Again, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, my son. Eli said, go back to bed. Only thing I can think about right here is like, dude, I would do this to my friends all the time. Like y'all ever do this to like your friends or your spouse where they like maybe listening to something and you'll act like you're saying something to them. They're like, what'd you say? You're like, I didn't say nothing to you. What you you're crazy, bro. What you talking about? But that's what, <laughs> that's what it seems like Eli's doing. This is probably what's going through Samuel's head. So verse seven, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. So this is why he was struggling to realize that the Lord was calling him. He thought it was Eli because he did not yet know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord. Now, this is where translations really play an important role because the New Living Translation says that he has never had a message from the Lord. But other translations actually would say the word of the Lord was not yet revealed to him. So this is why Samuel didn't know that the Lord was calling him because the word of the Lord was not yet revealed to him. Now, check this out. This is super cool. So the Hebrew word for revealed is the Hebrew word gala. And if you remember the scripture study that we did over David and Goliath, I mentioned how Goliath's name actually comes from the root word of gala, which means to reveal or uncover. And this is the same word being used here. So the word of the Lord was not yet revealed to him or was not yet gala to him. And one of the meanings of gala is to uncover. And this is interesting because it it almost seems like Samuel is not able to know that the Lord is calling him because it's like there's something covering his eyes or his mind or his ears. There's there's something that it is is covering him. It's almost like a filter because he doesn't know, right? He he never received a message for the Lord. So the only filter he's working through is the filter that's saying, Oh, it must be an actual person talking to me. <laughs> like, like this has to be Eli calling me. And so when when Gala, when, when God galad or uncovered th- this layer of uncertainty or this veil that was covering uh, Samuel's ears, he was able to hear or see through a new lens. This is interesting. This is why I think the fact that the word was not uncovered to him yet is really important. And I can actually sympathize with this because, you know, before I was a parent, I saw the world in a very certain lens. Like there was just things I could not understand 
when my parents did them. My parents would tell me to do things. They wouldn't let me do things. They would say these things and I just didn't understand them. And I viewed the world through the lens of someone who wasn't a parent in, in every single way possible. If I wanted to go buy some food like McDonald's, I'll bet money ain't no problem, right? But but the second I became a parent, it was like whatever veil or whatever restrictions were covering me became godlot or uncovered. And I was able to view the world through a new lens. So I finally understood like, oh, this is why my parents wouldn't let me do this. Or, oh, oh man, this is why my parents were hard on me in this one area. And when it came to stuff like money, it's like, oh, dog, I can't go get McDonald's. I got to feed my baby. Like whatever was covering my eyes and, and filtering to where I could not see the lens which my parents were looking through, it became uncovered. And this is why translation is important. And I mentioned Gala and uncovered because a few chapters later in 1 Samuel 9, um, there's a scene where the Lord tells Samuel something. And it says this, it says, now the Lord had told Samuel the previous day. And this is what's cool is the word told is translated from the Hebrew word Gala. But in this sense, gala means to uncover someone's ear. So in Hebrew, if you told someone something, it means that you uncovered their ear. So now understanding this, because of the translations, we can see a correlation to how Samuel was able, or Samuel at one point was not able to hear God because his ears were not yet uncovered to the message that God was bringing. I think that's so cool. On to verse eight. So the Lord called a third time and once more, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? Then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, go lie down again. And if someone calls again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed. Now, this is what's so cool. And this is this actually caught me by surprise because I've heard this story before. It's like, oh, yeah, when God speaks, how do you hear him? But notice, notice that when God was speaking to Samuel, he was speaking in a way that Samuel would recognize. Ain't that weird? Like, no, Samuel thought that Eli was talking to him the whole time. And when I, when I picture this story beforehand, I pictured it like God was going, Samuel, you know, with this big, deep voice and something so distinct, but God spoke in a way that Samuel would recognize and to Samuel, it sounded like Eli. And I wonder, I wonder if we may struggle to hear God because we expect for God to sound like something grand. Like, like, like we read all these verses where God comes down and, and he embodies fire or clouds or lightning or, or like deep thundering. And I wonder if we're not able to hear God or maybe God is speaking and we're missing it because we keep expecting for God to sound like something different. And I can understand why we may think that God would sound like these things. One, because, I mean, Hollywood and, and, and these videos and depictions of God always plays him out to have this like deep, heavenly voice. And maybe it's even scriptures like Job 37, where where the writer is expressing God and comparing his voice to thunder and lightning. And, and maybe we can mistakenly carry those characteristics to what God actually sounds like. Maybe that's the problem. 
Because for instance, in Job 37, it's this elaborate poem talking about how God's voice is like thunder and lightning. And we, we picture the sound of thunder and how scary and big and booming it is. But what we miss if we're not careful is, for instance, this writer in Job was not explaining God's voice to sound like that, but he was explaining the power and the reach that things like thunder and lightning have where it seems like they can just emanate throughout the entire world at one crack or one clap of thunder. But that's not how that's not how God sounds. I went through almost 30 different people in the Bible where I could find where God actually spoke to them. Not where God, you know, wrote something in the sand or where an angel came, but literally where it says that the Lord spoke to them. And what's interesting is that these were all peaceful interactions. I'm talking about all the way from Adam to Abraham, Cain and Abel, Noah, Moses, Samuel, uh, David, I mean, I'm talking about all of these people and all these interactions. You look at all the prophets, every time that God spoke to them, never once did it say that their reaction was that they were in fear or that they were scared or that they tried to hide from God's voice, but rather they, they just talked back to God. Like, like it was just a conversation. (laughs) There'd be times where God would speak to them and they'd be like, are you sure about that God? Like, if that's what you want me to do, okay. Like, they would literally just hold a conversation with God. They were all peaceful interactions. And what does this tell me? This tells me that when God speaks, he's speaking from a stance of relation. God wants relationship. God is a relational God. He isn't out to try and scare you or confuse you or or have you hide from the sound of his voice. God wants to speak in a way that you understand. And I think my mistake I made is I would conflate the people who feared God's actions or the people that feared how God looked with fearing his voice. And some of the, ver- the some of the first verses that pop into my mind is, is stuff like what happened with Moses in Exodus 3 with the burning bush. And this is, this is where I would make the mistake. I want to read through this. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement, though the bush was engulfed in flames. It didn't burn up. This is amazing. Moses said to himself, why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. And then Moses replied, here I am. <laughs> like Moses wasn't scared. He was like, yo, here I am, God. And then God said, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, this is where I made the mistake of conflating God's voice with the fear that people had when they either saw God or saw his actions. Look what happened next. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid. What was he afraid of? To look at God. He wasn't scared of his voice. But he was afraid to look at God. And I mean, I could imagine why God, I mean, that would be intense, right? But I conflated the fear that he had to look at God with the fear of God talking to him in general. And that's not how it happened at all. God said, Moses, Moses. And Moses was like, yo, what's up, God? Here I am, dog. Like, what's good? He thought the bush looked amazing. Like he was enthralled with what was happening. And then I think of things like Jonah. 
And, you know, I would think, oh man, Jonah ran away because he was scared of God. And it's like, you know, he wasn't scared of God's voice at all. Like you see in the first lines of Jonah, it talks about God spoke to Jonah and told him that he needed to go to Nineveh, but then Jonah got up and ran. And we find out later that he didn't run because he was scared of God's voice. He ran because he didn't want to go and preach to the Ninevites because he knew that God was going to forgive him. And he did not like those people at all. And then I look at stories like Paul when he was formerly Saul. And now this one's interesting because Saul was a dude that went out killing Christians. Like he was not a fan of Christians. He was out crucifying people, killing, burning up churches. Like he did not care. But look what happens when he ran into Jesus in Acts chapter nine, as he was approaching Damascus on his mission, on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly showed down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, and the voice replied, I'm Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. When Saul fell on his knees, it was because the light of Jesus shone around him. But when Jesus spoke to him directly, he's hearing the voice of God. What does he say? Who are you, Lord? Like, like he's not, he's not in fear, trembling. He's just like, who are you? He's asking a question. He's speaking in a relational way. And God spoke to him in a way that he could understand and recognize. And if you were like me, before you, you understood the differences in these stories and understood how God actually speaks, I'm just, I'm encouraging you. Don't be afraid to hear from God. Don't be afraid to hear from God. And just know it's not always audible. Some people may have an audible message from God. They may actually hear him. I've never had that. And I personally don't know of anybody who's had that. But God can speak to you in so many different ways. God can speak to you in so many different ways. He spoke to Samuel audibly. Yes, obviously. But he spoke to Jacob by one of Jacob's dreams when he showed him the stairwell to heaven. He can speak through other people like he spoke through the prophets or he can speak through spirit led people in your life and he can speak through the Holy Spirit the same way that he spoke through the apostles on the verse 10 and the Lord came and called as before Samuel Samuel and Samuel replied speak your servant is listening. This is so important. This verse right here that Samuel said, speak, your servant is listening. This is another cool thing that we find when we, when we look at other translations is the Hebrew word for listening here is shama, which means to hear. But this word holds more than just what we would think in English as hear, right? Just audibly hearing something. This word holds a meaning where not only do you hear, but you hear intentionally. You hear with the with the want to learn and to gain knowledge. So so he's saying, speak, your servant is intentionally listening, waiting to hear what you have to say. And I wonder what would happen if we implemented this into our own lives. I wonder what would happen if we just stopped long enough to not just try and hear, hear something, but to actually listen intentionally to God to what he is trying to say and not to what we're wanting him to say. I love this. I love that Samuel said, speak, God, go ahead. 
I'm going to put what I want behind and I'm just going to listen. Your servant, I'm here to serve you. I am listening. You know, this same idea of hearing intentionally to want to gain knowledge, not to impose what you want to hear, but to just simply hear so you can learn. We can do this same type of hearing when it comes to reading the Bible. We, we can sit back and look at the different passages that we read and think, what is the word? What is the author of this book trying to say? What is God trying to say? Instead of, what can the scripture do for me today? Like, like what, what am I needing that I can impose on the scripture to get out of it what I want to get out of it? For example, like Philippians 4.19, I used to I used to impose my wants and my selfish nature on this verse so often. It says this, and my God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I'm sure you've heard this before. And when I read this and when I was not hearing or shama, when I was not listening intentionally to what uh, Paul was trying to say, how I would interpret this verse is, oh man, God's going to meet all my needs, anything I want. If there's anything out there that I want, that I wish for, that I just really want to have, whether it's money or people in my life or games, like whatever it is, God's just going to do it because he's powerful. Like, like that is what I imposed on the scripture. And because I was not Shema, because I was not listening intentionally, I missed out on what the author and what God was truly trying to say. This is what the text is truly trying to say when we just sit back and listen to what the author is trying to say. This is what it says, that God's going to meet my needs, not my wants. He's going to meet my needs, but he's going to do so not according to to what, what I think he should do, not according to my will or through my abilities, but through his riches and glory. So that means I need to submit my needs to him and trust that his will and that his ability is enough to provide what I need and not what I want. That is the difference of actually Shema listening and hearing intentionally, not only to what people are saying and, and what God is saying in your life, but also to what the scriptures say. On to verse 11, then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm about to do a shocking thing in Israel. I'm going to carry out all my threats against Eli and his family from beginning to end. I have warned him that his judgment is coming upon his family forever because his sons are blaspheming God and he hasn't disciplined them. So I have vowed that the sins of Eli and his sons will never be forgiven by sacrifices or offerings. Whoa, snap, that escalated quickly. <laughs> like, yo, that escalated so fast. We went from serving Eli. To all of a sudden, God's going to carry out his threats? Well, to understand what God is talking about, we actually have to rewind to uh, chapter 2 of 1 Samuel. And, and, and what we find out is his, his sons are, are, are some hoodlums. <laughs> like His sons are jacked up. They were going around the temple. And when people were trying to sacrifice, like the goats and all that, when they were trying to give a sacrifice so they could be set right with God, his sons were rolling up and stealing the sacrifices to eat them in the middle of people sacrificing said so said that they would roll up and they were like yo you're gonna give me this whole animal and we gonna eat it 
And, and that's so jacked up. The only like modern way I guess that I could think of it is you sitting in church and you tithing and they pass the bucket down and some kid roll up and say, thanks, this is my money now. But it's not even close because these people were sacrificing to atone for their sins. Like, like there's no Jesus at this time. It wasn't like he was sent. Like these people needed this so they could be right with God and his sons were stealing their sacrifices. And so God was not having it. As you can imagine, God was not having it. And for some reason, and the word doesn't tell us why, but Eli would not discipline his sons. He knew about it and he never stopped them. So that's why God is, is throwing shade on Eli right here. If you were curious. All right. Verse 15, Samuel stayed in bed until morning, then got up and opened the doors of the tabernacle as usual. He was afraid to tell Eli what the Lord had said to him. But Eli called out to him, Samuel, my son, here I am. Samuel replied, what did the Lord say to you? Tell me everything and may God strike you and even kill you if you hide anything from me. So Samuel told Eli everything. He didn't hold anything back. It is the Lord's will. Eli replied, let him do what he thinks best. What I gather from these last few verses is actually something really powerful and something that I don't think a lot of us do uh, in, in our lives. And it may be because we're afraid of the repercussions, but here's a good, here's a good message for you. Don't be afraid to tell the truth. I know that sounds so simple, right? Like this is what Samuel did. He, he wasn't afraid to tell Eli what happened. Don't be afraid to tell the truth that God has shown you. But this is more than just telling the truth, right? This is, it's more about having the courage to speak the truth of God into your life. And and, and this is hard to do, right? This is hard to do. Being willing to speak the truth of God into your life and honestly into other people's lives, despite what it may bring, despite how people may treat you or react. And I look at Ezekiel. When, When God gave Ezekiel, the words that he wanted to give to the Israelites. God said this to Ezekiel. He said that, you know what? The people aren't going to listen to you, but you have to tell them and share with them what I have told you. Because if you don't and they end up failing, it's on you. It's on you. But if you tell them, if you share with them the truth I have given you and they still don't repent and turn to me, then it's on them. And I think many of us, are afraid of sharing what God has revealed because we think it may upset somebody. We're afraid to tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ. We're afraid to tell them about the truths that we have found in our life through God because we're afraid that it might upset them or that they might get a bad taste in their mouth, or they might not want to be our friends because we're Christian and we're too holy to them. And and I just think back to what God told Ezekiel. He was like, look, I have a message for you. You have to share this with the people, even if they don't listen. At least it won't be your fault because you at least shared with them what I told you and the truth that I gave to you. And also, don't be afraid to speak the truth that God has revealed into your own life. And I think of scriptures like Romans 8. 
And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Don't be afraid to speak this truth over your life. I know it may seem daunting and it may seem like what God is promising you is more than you deserve, but these are the truths that God has given you and you have the power and you have the responsibility to speak these into your life. John 1, 12, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Speak that into your life. Speak that into the lives of your family and your friends that because of what Jesus did, you have the right to become a child of God. What about Philippians 4, 13, that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Speak that into your life when you're struggling. Speak that over your friends and your family. But what I want us to get from 1 Samuel 3 is two different things. One, understanding what God sounds like. This, this when, when God showed me this, it completely changed my view of how God can speak to us. And, and it made me wonder, have I been missing what God is saying? Because I've been looking for a deep voice booming and thundering from heaven when this whole time, maybe God was just trying to speak to me through somebody that I know. Maybe he was just trying to speak to me through the Holy Spirit, just something that's soft and quiet. And the other thing I want you to get is that different translations help you understand the message of the Bible so much better than if you just read one translation. So I challenge you, when you do your Bible studies, when you are reading the Word of God, read through two or three different translations. And if you see like an important word like listen or hear or anything like that, look it up. Look up and see what the original Hebrew or Greek was. You would be surprised how often some of our English translations just missed the mark that we don't get the full message of what the authors were trying to tell us. I hope you enjoyed this scripture study. I cannot wait to catch y'all on Saturday, I think. We're going to have another episode up this week. I'm excited, and I will catch y'all next time. Peace out.